calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This week's episode has a trigger warning for potentially upsetting subject matter. Check the show notes at www.bitchesoncomics.com to find out more. Welcome, everybody. It's Bitches on Comics again. And I am Sarah Century. I am one of your hosts. There's two, so brace yourself. (laughs) There's another host coming soon, but... (laughs) Brace yourself. This isn't where this ends. This The episode is not 13 seconds long, so brace yourself. Get ready. (laughs) For a world where two people talk about comics. But meantime, I want to mention the most recent book that I read, which is The Graveyard Apartment by a writer named Marika Koike. And this is a Japanese writer, and I believe only recently was actually translated, but it's been out since 1992. So it's totally a haunted apartment complex in a graveyard. They talk the whole time about like development and all of this wild stuff that's going on and how it's hard for them to find a new house. They have a kid. There's all of this stuff going on. And it is a really, really good classic haunting story. I am having a great time reading it. You love a haunting. I do. Yeah, I've noticed that I'm only reading haunting stories lately, but also, I mean, can you blame me? Do you ever get, like, scared in your house? (laughs) Do you get freaked out? Because I get freaked out when I read haunting stuff. I can have total awareness that I am alive. I'm a person. And it is unlikely that I am being haunted. I'm not going to discount it wholly. (laughs) I'm not here to hate. But do you get frightened? You read so much horror. Well, it's disturbing and it's like scary. Sometimes horror is funny. Horror is a lot of different things, right? But I do, I mean, that's part of being by yourself, right? There's always going to be like, did I lock the door? You know, there's always that feeling. You always have at least a little bit of that on your mind. So whenever you're listening to a horror story, especially reading a book like The Graveyard Apartment, which is all about, oh, that sound actually is a ghost or like whatever (laughs) then yeah I mean it can be pretty scary I don't know I don't get too scared but like whenever I put it down and I start to think about it that'll sometimes be whenever I get scared or sometimes it'll just be a scary book and you know I'll take breaks or something like that 
But yeah, I'm certainly not impervious to the effects of horror. That is for sure. No matter how much of it I watch, gore is still always something where I'm like, I have to cover my eyes. I can't handle it. I've seen so much gore in movies and it sometimes is just too much for me. So I mean, as much as I watch it, like I sometimes will still like cover my eyes a little bit (laughs) or like be like, oh, I need to take a break. I'm going to go get a drink or whatever. I just need a drink right now really bad for some reason. Yeah, I have learned... Uh, hi, folks. This is Essie Flino, your other hi. host. What's up? I have learned that for me, I really enjoy horror, but it's the same way I feel about most films where I enjoy them most the second time. And I'm just talking about horror films right now. I enjoy them more the second time. So what I have started to do is be really comfortable covering my eyes if something makes me uncomfortable or scares me too much. Or like even fast forwarding. Like when we were watching Let the Right One In, I was bullied a lot as a kid. And so I had a really hard time watching these boys like sort of torment this other child. And so I needed to fast forward some of the really gruesome parts. And then sometimes I went back and rewatched them after I saw what happened. Like I almost need to know what happens and then I can then I can handle it, you know? Which is funny because it's a film. I, I kind of know how films work, but like I have to trick <laughs> my brain to like not be like, be like you're not in danger. Like you're okay because you can fast forward this. So mm-hmm. that's how I deal with horror. <laughs> but with yeah. books, it's a little different. That sounds amazing. I wrote it down, The Graveyard Apartment. Like, I'm I'm about it. That sounds so much fun. It's fun. I have been reading Victories Greater Than Death by Charlie Jane Anders. It just came out at the time of recording, like literally yesterday. And it is this very fun YA sci-fi adventure book. It is about a young woman named Tina. She's an average teen and beloved daughter, except she's not that average. She's also an interplanetary rescue beacon (laughs) waiting to activate. And when it does activate, all her dreams of her whole life that she's put into, I can save the world and worlds and I'll get to do adventure. That's what's going to happen. But then the beacon activates and nothing's quite what she thought it would be. Oh, it's so fun. It's like... The cover's so beautiful because Tina has like this beautiful purple hair. And I love Charlie Jane Anders. All of her work has been so good in my opinion. All the Birds in the Sky, The City in the Middle of the Night. I love both of those. And I'm really enjoying this so far. I'm not very far into it, but I'm about to go on vacation and I'm going to like devour it while drinking gin and tonics. And I am so, so excited. It is... It's everything that I want a book to be. And I'm just like, Charlie Jane, thank you. (laughs) Today, we have a question from Julie via email. Could you discuss The Nevers? It's about to be on HBO, and I see it's written and directed by Joss Whedon. I'm a lifelong Buffy fan, but Joss is... Joss. We replied, we were like, hey, Julia, we love you. We want to get into your question. We also do not like Joss Whedon. We were asked about the works of Joss Whedon for episode 31, and we pretty much went off. The episode is called You're Explicitly Excluded from This. So, um, yeah, we have gone on the record about not being huge Joss Whedon fans. He got way worse after that, too, which is wild. He sure did. Well, I don't know if he got worse, but more came to light about him, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. For me, (laughs) for me, a person who's never met him, you know, like, it got worse because it was like, oh, right. But then also, yeah, we get into it a lot in that episode where we're just like, here's actually why we don't like it. It's not necessarily like 
I'm so mad at this guy or like resentfulness of the fact that literally the only feminist anybody could name was Joss Whedon for like 10 years in Hollywood. But also what? When was he feminist? Remind me of the time. But so we replied with that to Julie and Julie replied, I don't expect y'all to watch The Nevers at all. I'd love to hear a discussion about its premise and what it means to love a person's creation, but make the conscious decision to not support their new ventures. And I'd also love to hear alternative recommendations for witchy supernatural TV and movies in any language. Thanks again for your response. Super excited for the episode. Julie, we're super excited for your question. Thank you so much. And thank you for corresponding with us to figure out what the right path forward is on this one. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, did you did you end up watching any of The Never, Sarah? Yeah, I watched the pilot. Yeah. It's very much like a kind of steampunk-infused... Magical girls. Here's the outsiders. Everybody thinks that they're bad guys. You know, everybody thinks that they're not capable people, but they super are. It's very much mutants. Yeah, it's very much inhumans. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the thing that makes them special that everybody judges them for. Some light play with like Jack the Ripper themes, which I cannot stand. I hate it so much and I'm always mad. (laughs) So that was irritating to me because I always think that like fiction commentary on it is always weird. I don't know. There's a lot of misapprehensions of that case as well as so many cases, but a lot of them are so anti-woman that I always get a little bit tense whenever it comes up because I'm like, so how are you going to justify the murders? (laughs) You know, like how are you going to victim blame to the point where it's like Jack the Ripper is the most interesting part of this story somehow and not the people that he hurt. Yes, yes. And it's kind of an ongoing thing, right? Now, we have no idea where this is going to unfold. I know that more episodes have aired, but, you know, that's as far as I made it. So I didn't get any further. But it had, like, a lot of things where it's like, I can see why this would be fun. It's like kind of trying to do some feminist spin stuff on things. I think that there's something there for sure, you know? Like, if you like that show, I would understand why. And I got to say, Joss Whedon can write a fucking pilot. You know, I don't like him. I don't think he's a great person, but he is really good at the pacing on pilots. I hate to even say anything positive about him, to be fair. I watched the first episode and then I watched the second and it was like, oh, there's just there's just really nothing here for me. There's a female serial killer, like you were mentioning, Sarah, who is a parallel for Jack the Ripper. Everyone's yeah. everyone's actually afraid of her because she's killing men who matter. Right. I don't like it. Yeah. But also it could turn into like a commentary, but that commentary has been done to death already. Thank you. Just a simple gender swap is not enough for us in 2021. You know, it's like just a simple little switcheroo and being like, yeah, sometimes women do crime, you know, is like, well, yes, that's true. It's very true. (laughs) There's a lot of, I'm I'm super aware because I like specifically... specifically have interest in women who do crime. But I would say that there's a flattening to it because there was a lot of specificity to the gender of the victims, right? And so like the whole thing is... To me, it's like a flattening. It's like a re-envisioning in a way that doesn't work for me personally. But that is nothing to say. This is fantasy land. It can be great. Somebody taking elements of something just because it puts my, you know, my hair on edge or whatever. Like that is not to say that it was bad because it was honestly a really good pilot. Yeah, I I think it was a great pilot. And, you know, as I continued to the next episode, though, what I found is what I see frequently in in Joss Whedon's works when he portrays strong female characters, which is a high reliance on the trauma and the abuse done to them. That's what really unfolds in the second episode is we learn that 
the main character was abused by her husband. And then we learned that this person was abused by her husband. And then we learned that this person was abused by this. And I'm not saying, hey, I'm, I'm a survivor of trauma, intimate partner violence. I absolutely think there's a place for those narratives. But there's a way that they're done. And I think about Avengers, I believe it's Age of Ultron, and the way that Black Widow is really boiled down to the Red Room in a way that is very voyeuristic, right? She's a weak woman who had these things done to her, and now she's not, she's a monster because of this. And it's like, oh my God, none of that is, stop it. <laughs> stop it, put it down. That's not yours to play with. And yeah, I think that's kind of how I felt there a bit. Sometimes there's this line of like, when we show people being traumatized, when we're not thoughtful about how we do it, we're actually not doing something creative and groundbreaking. We're just perpetuating trauma. And I think there is an element of that in this story. I don't know if I'll finish this season. There's six episodes in the season. What I do know is that Whedon wrote and directed many of the episodes. I also know Jane Espenson, who was huge in Buffy. At some point, we should probably have Alex Wright on to talk about how Espenson was involved in Buffy because it's really fascinating. But, you know, was a huge defining factor in the in the more feminist aspects of Buffy. And so I know that she got mm -hmm. has become more involved and I believe she's a showrunner and I know she's an executive producer. I know she's a writer on the show. I think for season two, she's in even a bigger role. He stepped back too, right? Because the joke that everybody made was that he's never going to work in Hollywood again, probably. And like, that is probably for the best, I'm going to say. And I also think that he has enough money and we don't have to worry about him, right? So yeah, that's and all we'll fine fucking and good. see. He'd be the first to actually pay a fucking consequence for his behavior. Ugh, not the first, but you know what I mean? Especially in, in the most recent cases. I mean, Kevin Spacey's making another fucking film. Right. It's yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The world is A lot terrible. of the stuff people were like, so we just have to be mad for like a year though, right? Right, like, and then like check. Then can come back. We're done being mad. They did their penance. How? Where? Give me but some how? sense. That's my question. <laughs> yeah, that's always it, right? Because they always are like, people can make mistakes. Come on. And it's like, well, yeah, um, that's true. And we all have to work on forgiveness in our lives. That is also true. But once again, there's a lot of people who want to have that reconciliation without doing any of the work. And whenever that's the case, then that's somebody who's being abusive as opposed to somebody who genuinely wants to change. Right. And they're just using that I could change narrative because they know it'll work on some people, right? So I just think that doesn't really hold up. And he's good at saying the right things, isn't he? Like, he's so good at saying the right feminist things in interviews and in conversations, especially when you look at the wider, you know, thrust of Hollywood where no one's talking about those things. And it's just... I'll be honest, like it broke my heart to learn that Joss Whedon was a monster. I, I didn't know. I didn't know. And, and as I learned, it just made me sadder and more frustrated. And I think the thing that has made me a better consumer of pop culture is now when I watch Buffy, which I love and rewatch at least once a year. And usually when I'm really sad, I start watching right when Angel becomes angelous and I bawl my eyes out for the next like, you know, six seasons. I love Buffy. And I can see how gut-wrenching and heartbreaking and fucked up the narrative choices he, he makes throughout are. One of the things that Julie mentioned is that we might want to talk about the allegations. And I, and I won't go in depth because I think you all can do the research, but I'll say, you know, Ray Fisher, Charisma Carpenter, even Sarah Michelle Gellar, though she was more um, indirect about it. And oh gosh. Michelle Trackenberg. Thank like, you. I was like, Dawn. She says, yes. literally people had a rule that we don't be in the same room together alone. And I was just like, 
So how many of us have experienced that? Because I was like, I have experienced that. I've experienced way older dudes being really, really creepy to me and doing it in a work environment to the point where it was like, okay, well, the way that we're going to fix this is we'll all just be present and like not let this guy be alone with you. And it's just like, well, that's great. But also, why is he still coming to work? Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. Because if everybody has to change what they're doing just for this guy to show up in the morning... That is wild, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, he threatened Gal Gadot and, and there's there's so many layers there. And I think, you know, back to Buffy and, and talking about Michelle and, and Sarah and uh, Charisma, Anthony Head, who, who played Giles, he was like, I'm devastated. I didn't even know. I thought that I was someone that everyone looked at like an uncle, but you can tell an uncle when something's wrong and no one could tell me. And it makes me really think about who I am. Yeah, And it's like, he wasn't even implicated. And that man can actually reflect on his behavior and think about how he could have done a better job. And Joss Whedon has said bupkis. Like, he has gone radio silent. I don't even know if his Twitter page is still up. Like, he has completely disappeared pretty much since, I don't know if he's done much since Ray Fisher came out with the allegations. And then Charisma Carpenter came out pretty quickly after that. Not quickly, I I think there's actually a good bit of time. But she talked about how she was really grappling with what Ray Fisher, who, if you don't know, plays Cyborg in the DC Cinematic Universe. They call it EU, and I can never remember what the E stands for, Entertainment Universe. And it's just heartbreaking stuff. And so for me, I can love the things I have that are important to me, like Buffy, and I can never look at them the same. I I really can't. Isn't it the same too, though? Because like the overall question is how do you absorb these medias that were created by people that you are very uncomfortable with and you might not necessarily always love their stuff, but sometimes you do. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what makes it a little bit more complicated. Mm. Now, I think that the thing is with that is like we can address something that we talked about literally on this podcast, which is Warren Ellis, right? Like Mm -hmm. before any of those allegations had come forward, that is a writer who has written so many works that were, you know, for whatever reason, groundbreaking. Like there's a lot of stuff there, you know, I could never say there's nothing there. Like this is somebody who I was reading my entire life, right? So if I'm going to say one that it actually affected my thoughts because we've talked before about how like a lot of these people I'm just like yeah I already didn't like that Buffy meant something to me in my teen years but I was already mad about it (laughs) like you know way before a lot of other people were I mean Xander is pretty much a fucking incel so I think a lot of us now are like oh my god (laughs) I can't believe I watched it yeah but I have things like that too of course there's a lot of medias that are problematic even stuff where it's like nothing's ever come out about this or that but it's like but you know some of the stuff that happens on that show is problematic as hell Mm -hmm. stuff that I love like Xena or something like there's Mm -hmm. so many like Mm -hmm. really messed up like exoticism episodes that I'm just like I'm focusing on what I love and I'm not focusing on the stuff I don't love and so it's like sometimes you'll rewatch it and just be like god (laughs) yeah Xander does exist um that's wild And, like, also, it's wild to be, like, so much screen time is spent on this character. But we talked about that a little bit before. And my thing is, if I was going to have a person whose work was so meaningful and then people called them out as being such a bad person who had such a sweeping effect on so many people that was negative and, like, stopped people from working in comics entirely. And God knows those people might have made great works or they might someday still. But it's like... It's always the victims that suffer, you know? It's like you can Mm -hmm. never 
so he tried to like go away for a minute and come back too, right? More needless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in comics, it was a little bit different because in comics, people were like, absolutely not. Comics are a smaller universe, right? So it, I think that it was a different vibe. Image ultimately backed away from doing that comic. Of course, we have not seen the end of this no, person. No. But, but there are a hundred people. A hundred people came forward with allegations and he yeah. still got brought back with another title that then like a year later they back, after they doing backpedal on at the very, you know, after defending it, after his co-writer or the artist, I can't remember, artist, went yeah. to bat for him. All this shit, you know, and it's like, I think what's difficult, right, is we're talking about sites of injustice within a framework of oppression. And so we can we talk about Warren Ellis, we talk about Joss Whedon, but what we're talking about is the way that Hollywood is structured. We're talking about the way that comics can be an old boys club. You know, we're talking about so much more, but it's really hard to talk about because it's elusive and we were all raised up in it, right? We all have been raised up in patriarchy. And so sometimes we can't even see the strings that are controlling us or that are controlling other people. Right. But and also part of it is like being like, you know what? People who are terrible can also have great ideas and also be Mm -hmm. really compelling people and to also be incredibly charismatic, you know? So I think that there's like so many elements to it where it's just like, yeah, I'm not surprised, you know, like this guy had great ideas. There was a lot of stuff with Warren Ellis is like, I was reading his comics my whole life, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's stuff Mm -hmm. where it's like now when I go back through, of course, in the moment, even I was just like, I don't really buy this Pete Wisdom Kitty Pride thing. (laughs) But age is weird. Who knows? Like in the X universe, like you never really know exactly how old anybody is. So it was easy just to be like, well, they're both adults or whatever. Yep. But there was things that were like a little bit sketch about it because it's so clearly a self insert, which is always (laughs) something that's just somebody telling on themselves for the most part. But I think that, yeah, there's things where you like look back through and you're just like, oh, yeah, I guess I was viewing this with the kindest heart, right? I was wanting to be sold on this. And so I was. I mean, the filthy assistants and Metropolitan is probably super offensive if we like look back through it, right? The way that he talks to them and like sexualizes them would probably be something where now I'd be like, I really have to question that. But in the moment, it's like, but he's a cantankerous old journalist. And like, you know, it's like, there's something where you try to fall into the humor a little bit. And then in that time period, of course, it was like a completely different world as far as like what would fly on the page whenever mm-hmm. it comes to stuff like that. I think, too, that this is stuff where it's like, I can't go back into the past and tell me not to pick up a <laughs> Warren Ellis comic. You know, it's like this is stuff that's already foundational. And I think that Buffy is something like that for Absolutely. everyone, right? Absolutely. Buffy is so foundational to so many people who believe in feminism, who are queer, who have like all of these progressive ideals. And like before any of this came out, it was still a series that was highly under scrutiny by a lot of people who are just like, it's wild that they like cannot write a black character, right? Like it's wild that the queer elements of this are so strange and like kind of male centric and weird ways and like all of those kind of things. Xander exists once again, like that's, that's weird, right? But that doesn't change what it meant to you. And like, that's kind of how it works. People go down a weird route with this because it'll be people who are like, no, look, you can't change the fact that Harry Potter meant a lot to me. But then it's like, yeah, but you could stop defending it in public, right? <laughs> like, yeah, my kind of policy on that is, is uh, that I refuse to talk about it. Like, yeah. that doesn't mean that I'm not rereading it. That doesn't mean that I'm not watching it. it. Doesn't mean I'm not I'm not paying for things. I'll say that right now. 
I'm because not coming I don't to need, bat for it, though. I don't like, need that she who must not be named to be making any more money from me. I'm not going to go to bat for it. I'm not going to talk about what house I would belong in. And I can see the flaws, but it does not change what that narrative has meant for me. Yeah. I didn't do anything wrong. Why can't I, I would, have the thing that I like? I would get rid of the t-shirt, right? Like I would exactly. get rid of the I would get rid of the beanie. I would like maybe just not wear it anymore, you know? There's certain things where it's like, yeah, you could be a supportive person and still have been moved by Harry Potter. I was never a Harry Potter fan, so this stuff is like out of my realm 100%. But the thing that is in my realm <laughs> is trying to navigate difficult subjects, exactly. which I love doing, right? Exactly. Or like I am constantly doing. I don't know if I love it, but I would never, ever, ever be like, oh, but you should give Harry Potter a chance, right? Like I would never, no matter what it was, uh, this the Elis comic or something, something that meant a lot to me, I would never recommend it to somebody today. Like, you know, you can't. It's kind of too touchy of a subject. And also, what's the point? There's a million other great comics. So you could just hand somebody something else. And I think to your point, Sarah, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but part of what I hear you saying is there's a disservice in trying to erase it from our experiences. Yeah. I just read uh, Agent of Asgard pretty recently, and I'm like, isn't that the point? Because let's take a lesson from this, right? Because Loki does all these terrible things, and then he makes this deal with Freya the Allmother, and she is just like, okay, well, every good deed you do, I'll take one of your bad deeds out of the book. And what happens there? It totally opens the door for King Loki to come back and totally mess everything up because mm -hmm. that's the Loki who never learned from anything. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you erase your past, you never learned from it. Mm -hmm. And that is so messed up. Like that is the worst is like going through a life where you just erase the things that were hard or difficult or problematic or troublesome. Like you can't do that. I would do anything to erase what these people went through, like when yes. it's working with these people, right? Of course, I will go back into the past and be like, never read these books, you know, but it doesn't come down to that. It doesn't come down to me. It has nothing to do with me mm -hmm. other than how do I be supportive today? Yes. And like the yes. way that I would be supportive today is to be like, if you had any concerns about anybody financially, like he's fine. He's going to continue getting residuals from things for the rest of his life. It doesn't matter if we hate him or not. It's the same way as Joss Whedon is. There's no way he's going to run out of money even if he doesn't have a new job because he's already done so many things and there's always still going to be royalties. Like as much as you know, a lot of less people are going to read Elis right now. That doesn't mean that, you know, there's not going to still be transmetropolitan copies all over the place, right? Like, mm -hmm. that was one of the most impactful books of the 90s. So regardless of how I operate, there are still people who will buy those books, you know, mm -hmm. and like that'll proudly display them on their shelves. My brother has a transmetropolitan tattoo. Isn't that terrible? Like, he's just like, God. <laughs> yeah. But it meant so much to him, right? Yeah, yeah. When it's something permanent like that, too, it makes it a lot harder because it's like, oh, man, it's like on his head. He can't get that removed. Like, that would be the most excruciating. Uh, anyway, long, complicated subject. But the thing is, is that it meant a lot to a lot of people. You can't go back in time. Like, you can't undo it. And then once again, we learned from this guy because it was like, no, the funny, jokey uncle is like being a piece of shit, you know, like he's being a sketchball and he's like manipulating all these women. And sometimes I'm I'm worried that we don't learn, you know, so it's like this didn't have to happen because it did happen. We have to learn from it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. If I were to pretend that Buffy meant nothing to me 
that would not help me be a better creator than Joss Whedon. And that's the goal, right? Or like, a better person, right? A person. Like, it's just like, none of that changes anything. And also, Buffy is part of the cultural zeitgeist. We're going to be talking about that forever. It's complicated. And it's influenced but... so many of the shows that I love, right? Like, it's, it's such a big influence on, and that's a perfect segue to talk about, you asked for some alternative recommendations. Thank you so much. We love to talk witchy, supernatural TV and movies. And yeah, I mean, I think that Buffy has had such far-reaching influence on feminist TV in particular. What, I'm just going to never watch feminist TV again? Like, no. <laughs> and I need it, you know? I need it in my life, and I, I love these stories. The last time I rated and reviewed something, I think was maybe dental work that I had done. Somebody cleaned my teeth and they were really nice to me and I thought, wow, that's great. So I left a really nice review on Google. Now it turns out that that review has gotten millions of views, trillions, truly as many views as a review could have. You know what? That could happen to you, maybe. I mean, if you rated and reviewed the Bitches on Comics podcast, Maybe it would just give us a nice little buzz. You know how, like, we all love the dopamine. You just get, like, a nice little little boost. And also, it boosts us in the ratings and stuff for podcasts. I know how podcasts work. It actually does. It's very helpful. And we really appreciate it when you do. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate it. I, you can just tweet at me. Just say something nice if you want. And or, you know, um... Basically just this, actually. Yeah, if you could just keep it to rating and reviewing on the podcast site, that'd be great. (laughs) I was like, maybe somebody could like write me a note and then I was like, that's so creepy. Why am I asking for that? (laughs) Please don't write me a note. (laughs) Don't. (laughs) Rate and review me. (laughs) You could rate and review me and give me five sandwiches. (laughs) You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Top of the hour, I want to talk about if we're going to talk about witch representation. First of all, there are witches in this world. There are people who this is a practicing belief system, and it is very different than how it is portrayed in movies and television and books, you know? So, like, if you want to hear about real world witches, there's all kinds of stuff for you to read about. There's, you know, pull out covens operating in this world that believe in sustainability and believe in feminism and believe in doing better by the earth. And I think that that is a great reason for me also to point out that the genre of witches is incredibly whitewashed. If you meet witches in real life, they are not all white ladies. And like the fact that that is so, so damn prevalent to the point where it is hard sometimes to find suggestions of things. It's less hard today because over the last few years, there's been a lot of works by Black and Brown authors. But I would say that there is no way to talk about the witch genre without saying that, you know, a lot of it is so unbelievably whitewashed, which is true of many things. But it becomes especially egregious whenever we're looking at things like witches, because this is something where there's perhaps no worse example than Scarlet Witch having like her ethnicity erased for the show. But we keep the witchy element that's so silly. And then we have the evil spooky witch. These are all really reductive things. It appears again and again and again. I think that this is something that all of us should be either working to change or supporting the works that do work to change it, or at least just reading up on it. Because as I said, you know, witchcraft has a big old history and it very seldom has anything to do with Anton LaVey or something, you know, <laughs> or like, I mean, honestly, there are like lots of people who are of all kinds because witchcraft is something that's kind of in a lot of ways, sometimes generational, but also something that is passed on and it's something that really welcomes outsiders. So I think that there's people of all kinds that get into witchcraft, male, female, everything, like all of the genders all of the different kinds of people. And that's something where I just think we should always, always talk about that before <laughs> we talk about what which stuff do you like? Because it's like, yeah, there's tons of stuff I like, but also just keep in mind that this is a real thing, right? Like it's not necessarily like, ooh, spooky magic. Here's like all of this cool stuff. It's not like that. And um, there's a lot of stereotypes, but you know, once again, it's just a thing that we should always pay a little bit of respect to because it's a long tradition of actual people doing things. Yeah, a ton of fucking respect. I do want to mention one comic I recently read that I think has a really cool witch narrative. And hey, given what we're talking about, is a perfect companion. It's the trade paperback for the Willow comic. This is Willow of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer sort of reboot in the comics. We reviewed that as a comic of the week. Uh, it's a Jody Berlair comic. I don't know what episode that was. But this one is written by Mariko Tamaki, illustrated by Natasha Bustos, and colored by Eleonora Bruni, and lettered by Jody Wynn, with the covers by Jen Bartel. It is just 
what the fuck? You can't do better than that creative team. Yeah, I wasn't going to read that. And then whenever you told me the creative team, I was like, I am especially going to read that. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> I think you'll like it, store. too, given, like, some of the things we talked about with the hangups with Willow. And, it, you know, it has a really cool narrative is what I'll say. And it's it's really interesting. It's Willow away from the rest of the Scoobies and sort of learning about what does it mean to to be a really powerful witch and and how does she need to be in community or not. So I just want to start with that as a recommendation for comics. And I included Supernatural in my list because I definitely lean toward the Supernatural over straight up just simply witchiness. Many of the things I'll mention also include witches in some capacity or another. But what's on your list, Sarah? I think all of mine is explicitly witch stuff. Okay, go for it. But I will also say that I included some novels because there's some novels that are important to read if you're into witch stuff. So we have Cersei by Madeline Miller. Now, that is a book I have ranted and raved about how much I loved (laughs) Song of Achilles on this podcast before. I'm always happy to do that again anytime somebody wants me to do it. But for right now, we're talking about Cersei, which is about, of course, one of the most famous quintessential witches of all time. So how can you even tell a story about witches without talking about Cersei? And so (laughs) it's like her whole story of like... From the beginning to the end, like it just gives her a whole narrative as opposed to just being like, she's the wicked witch of the island and she turns men into pigs, you know, like all of that kind of goofy stuff that they do. They completely eschew that just to be like, so what was it like? You know, like, who who is this person? Um, who is this demigod who lived for thousands of years and just pops up in like ballads every now and again as like this, you know, irredeemable villain? But it's so good. I love that book. There is another book that is called... In the House in the Dark of the Woods. It is written by Laird Hunt. Laird Hunt is a writer whose other works I have not read, but this was a novella that is so good because it's like being in the fairy tale, but like here's the different versions of you in the different fairy tales. So you know how like in fairy tales, it's usually if it's like a woman on a journey, uh, sometimes to I'd say like a lesser extent, they do this with men too. But like for the most part, if it's like a woman on a journey, right? We have like the young girl, the mother and then the crone, right? It's like the old stereotype of the three always. And so that comes up here as the point. Like there's the three who is just the one. But hey, you don't know of the other ones whenever you're the young one, right? Like, and you do know of the other ones whenever you're the old one, but you also have a really strong idea of how things are going to go for you. So like that whole book was really fun, really trippy, like... Definitely, I think one that I'm going to have to revisit just to make sure that I caught everything because it's such a commentary on the nature of fairy tales, fables, storytelling, and then, of course, how we view women, which is always tied up in how we view witches, right? And then there was The Year of Witching, which is by Alexis Henderson, which I was, as I was saying, there's very few narratives that will be by Black women, and this was one. Very seldom is it super about witching, actually. Like, it's about a girl who essentially is born into a cult, and her mom gets away from it and goes into the woods to become a witch, essentially. And everybody is like, well, she's a demon, so, like, don't go near her. And uh, you might be a little bit of a demon yourself because your mom's a demon. So it turns into this whole thing, right? I couldn't recommend it more because it was a really fun read. It's lengthy, and you get so much into the main character's head that it is really good. And of course, my last book that I'm going to mention, this is my last book, I have some movie recommendations, is White is for Witching by Helen Oyeyemi, which is not, once again, explicitly always about witchcraft, but it does have something to do with people being haunted. 
and just being kind of intrinsically haunted because of situations that are much bigger than them, right? And like, there's a lot of commentary on colonialism and like all kinds of really weird, interesting stuff along the way. Oyemi is like one of the best writers I've ever read in my life. This is one of the best books I've ever read. It's so, so good. And it's just great commentary along the way of being like also PS witches, right? So one of our very favorite TV shows, uh, I say our on purpose, Winona Earp, has like a handful of witches that, you know, weave in and out of the stories. They have major impacts on the the wider narrative. Are they great representations of witches? I'm going to go with no. But I do like some of them. I even like and they're the fun. evil ones and are cool. Like, you know, yeah. even if they're bad, they're like bad in a cool way. It's not like Clearly, the creators don't hate women, right? So mm-hmm. there's not that narrative. That's that's usually what you're playing with, right? Exactly. Is like that. That's kind of the unspoken part or the quiet part of it, where you're just like, "All oh, this representation has been kind of bad," and then it's like, "But also because of <laughs> your hatred of women." There's one point in season three where they encounter the ghost of a young teenage witch, and she is hysterical. She's very angry, and I love her. Also just a great supernatural show. You know, it's about the descendant of Wyatt Earp who must now deal with the undead revenants who rise continually to face heir after heir who must defeat the people that Wyatt killed in his life because he was cursed by blah, 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 blah. It's awesome. We've done a whole episode about that show and we've also done a Patreon bonus about it, so I won't get into it too much more, but Why on Earth should be considered, I believe, required viewing. It has great queer narrative in it that we are huge fans of and love to weep about. At, love to weep about you know, it. Various intervals, you know, whenever we just way hot, <laughs> you know. Yeah, just say the words way hot and it's just like, and I'm done. I'm just going to go cry for a while. I view Winona Earp as being kind of an improvement on Buffy sometimes. And I know that that's like reductive because there's definitely more to it than that. But I sometimes am just like, I I just feel better about this one. (laughs) It's nice that we're not dealing with children too. I I think it's really hard to watch the early seasons of Buffy because I'm like, she's a baby. What is happening? She's literally like 16, you know, in this narrative, right? yeah. Related to Winona Earp uh, is Lost Girl. Lost Girl is this great show made by some of the same people behind Winona Earp. You know, it's got huge flaws, let's be real. Everything I'm going to mention pretty much has some, I mean, everything in the world has huge flaws. Uh, Lost Girl is about a bisexual succubus, and she's a detective for a little while. She's, you know, solving big issues in Fadom because it's all about, you know, fairies, but they call themselves fae. And they're like werewolves and they're the Norn and they're this and they're that and they're the other. We had a great time. We went on The Good, The Bad, The Basic and talked with them about Lost Girl. That was a really super fun couple of episodes. So make sure you go check those out. Yeah, especially if you also want some trigger warnings in the mix because we talk about the parts (laughs) where it's like, for the most part, I think that it's a pretty great show. And then there's like maybe two or three episodes where it's like, just skip it. It's just better for you to skip it. It's like not worth the anger that you're going to feel if you watch it. They try to do an enslavement episode that's just like, oh, fuck me. And then they do an episode with a character who's hiding their gender and it's deeply Mm -hmm. transphobic. And, you know, so... Go listen to those episodes. We'll give you the play by play. <laughs> Unlike Whedon has apologized, I will yes. say. Um, but come on now, you know? Exactly. If you want something that is set like Buffy or, you know, I know we're talking about the Nevers too, but we moved right on, uh, is Legacies. It's actually from the Vampire Diaries universe. So 
do with that what you will. I did not watch The Vampire Diaries or the originals before I watched Legacies. I started with Legacies because there are some major queer characters. And one of the people who plays a queer character, she plays Josie Saltzman, a bi character, just came out as bi, this pride. So, or came out as queer, I should say, this pride. So congratulations. Very exciting. Congratulations. So Legacies is adorable. It's basically Buffy at a... It's like if the villains from Buffy went to boarding school together. And it's it's cute, you know? It's got problems. Of course it does. But, like, am I mad about werewolves and vampires and witches, like, learning to go to school together and being like, I cursed him because he was mean to me. No, I love that. It's fucking cute. I mm-hmm. highly recommend it. I think it's way better than The Vampire Diaries or I've only seen, like, one episode of the originals because I literally couldn't stand it. Let's go ahead and shout out Good, Bad, and Basic for that, yeah, too, though, because hell the yeah. Supernatural season, it's not like the show Supernatural, but the Supernatural-themed mm-hmm. season of Good, Bad, and Basic is, is so rad. good it's and so, so breaks good. down tons of this stuff. Yeah, you go listen to that and then, you know, decide which of the shows you want to watch or watch them and then go listen to that. It's a great one. I would also put A Discovery of Witches, which is uh, witches, uh, available on Shudder. That's where I watch it. Mm-hmm. Again, not perfect. A little weird in points, but it's cool. It's fun. It's like, you know, this witch has these all these, like, cool, epic powers, and she can time walk. So then you, like, a big part of it takes place in, I don't know, the 1500s, and you're like, what the fuck? These witches are crazy. It's, it's delightful. I absolutely love it. Again, problems absolutely the like one black vampire is she's so crazy and it's like ugh, ugh. and she can't get over this white guy ugh, ugh. so i hate that part but otherwise pretty fun i haven't finished it so if you're caught up on season two and you're like uh, actually it's terrible just let me know because <laughs> i did not i'm not there yet i also think that doom patrol I don't know if there's any witches per se in it, but if you like weird shit that's about sad Oh, no, they do. It's the guy, right? Oh, the guy right. that's kind of Constantini. Like, Oh, my God, right. Oh, I forgot about that. I think he would qualify as a witch. Yeah. He's a magic guy, at least. Yeah, he's a magic guy. Uh, there's also, like, sex magic. Doom Patrol is just excellent. Excellent. So weird. So funny. Amazing performances. We did a, a Patreon episode about it. Go listen to that. I believe it's free. If it's not, I don't know. You'll be okay. It's delightful. I love Doom Patrol. If I was going to recommend a TV show, like someone's like, I just want to watch something fun with like a supernatural or superhero element, I'm like, done, Doom Patrol. It'll also make you feel some fucking feels because Jane has been through some shit. So that is really fun to watch. I mean, heartbreaking at the same time, but it's cool the way they they deal with that character's issues. Love Doom Patrol. Highly recommend. Also, if I'm doing superheroes, I would put Runaways on there. Nico Minoru is like a witch in a sense. I mean, she is a witch. She can do one-word spells. You might know Nico from the Runaways comic. Or also she's in A-Force as well. So Nico's the shit. And she has a really cute relationship with Carolina in the TV show. And I really like that. I like the TV show. I think it's fun. I know it's not for everyone. It's, you know, a lot of teen drama, but... What can I say? I love teens being dramatic. (laughs) That's a great one. And then my last two are Into the Badlands, which is sort of an underrated badass show about a post-apocalyptic U.S. where the land has been redistributed into baronies. Is that what they're called? Territories run by barons. 
And mm-hmm. there's like, you know, some people have a mystical power and then like, you know, there's no guns. There's not really cars. So our hero is like really good with a sword, does a ton of like badass martial arts. The martial arts in, in Into the Badlands are fucking incredible. I love it. Nick Frost is in it and plays like a fat character who is really good at martial arts. And I'm just going to say right now, I've literally never seen that on screen before. It was so empowering for me as a fat person. I was just in love. I think it's so underrated. They do some shit that I hate. There's like some fridging. There's some like, you know, this sucked. Uh, why did that have to happen? I thought that character was cool. Why is she now evil? Well, you know, life. But love Into the Badlands. And then finally, and I, this is the only one I put on my list with the term with a caveat. So I will <laughs> be a little bit longer, but it is a newer series. It's right now in its second season. It's called Motherland Fort Salem. You can watch it on Hulu. And a lot of people do not like it. A lot of people feel like it justifies fascism and militarism. And I can see why people feel that way. I do not agree. I see it as a a pretty slow burn critique of militarism. I can see why it it's hard because you actually, you're introduced to the world through brand new cadets who have just been conscripted. But I like it. It's a basically about a alternative U.S. where when the witch trials took place, they found out witches were real and could control the weather with singing. Singing. It's very cool. They sing a lot. And yeah, it's, it's basically now every woman who is born a witch is conscripted into service. And it's, you know, like there's huge problems, but the whole thing is about one of the main characters. Her mom was killed by the military. And so she's like there to figure out like, how do I not end up like my mom? And, you know, another character is there and it turns out she's actually working for a terrorist group, but she's, you know, there and there's like a queer couple. And what's really cool that I like is there's these celebrations of like Beltane and other pagan holidays that are, you know, they have like a giant orgy. And honestly, like, when do I get to see that on screen? Like, when is everybody having a giant orgy to celebrate their favorite holiday? Not often enough is what I'm going to come down on. So yeah, that's like quite a little list for you, but I hope you'll check them out. And yeah, I, I love all those shows. But Sarah, you've got some movies for us before we finish up. Yeah, and a comic, which is pretty much any of the works of Emily Carroll, I think. Not always witch-oriented sometimes, but though. Cool and then when fuck. they They always have, like, real witchy vibes. So I highly recommend that. I also think Love and Rockets categorizes because there are witches in Love and Rockets, though totally. it's not just a thing, right? So it's like the entirety of Love and Rockets. There's some witches along the way. So, you know, get into that if you want. But it also, once again, there's, it's like so, so many issues. You get into Love and Rockets. Bit. Like, you, just you'll be so it. happy you did. <laughs> yeah, it's just easier for everybody. All right. Yeah. No, I have some weird ones, right? So the first one I have is V, which is spelled V I Y. It is a witch movie from the 70s. It is about a trio of young men who are training to be monks and one of them commits a violent act against an elderly woman and it turns out he has actually killed a beautiful young woman because she was a witch right so she was sometimes she's old sometimes she's young she can change her shape Basically, a king's daughter has died now, and he's the cause. There's a very specific request that they find from the daughter, which says, this specific monk must pray with me and my body if I die all night for three nights in a row. 
So the guy who caused the death of this character has to go into this little tomb and pray night after night, three nights in a row, over the person who he has grievously wronged, even though he didn't necessarily know what he was doing in the moment. This kid is stuck in a tomb with a witch, and he cannot get out of it. There's no way. So it's day after day. It is one of the most weird, strange, fun, odd, still kind of scary and violent bizarre movies I have ever seen. There's really wild special effects, kind of claymation-y monsters keep coming out to like help. And the moments of the witch just coming into our power every night, night after night, and just scaring this kid out of his mind is so fun and really just worth the watch. As you said, probably everything has a caveat to it. I'm sure that if I rewatched it, I'd be like, oh, but that could be triggering for people who are scared of monsters or like whatever. But like there is certainly a lot of great reasons to watch it. And The Witch is really, really cool. It's a weird old Russian film. I think you might even be able to watch it on Tubi or something. Next one I'm going to talk about Onibaba. Onibaba is a just, oh man, long, gut-wrenching, awful, miserable movie that is about a woman and her daughter-in-law and they live in a grass hut as like the man of the house, the woman's son has just gone off to war and God knows what happens to him, right? And they make a living and they scrape by by robbing the bodies of fallen soldiers. And Onibaba is 100% a witch. But hey, who's Onibaba? We don't really know until, you know, events of the movie unfold. It is a truly incredible masterpiece, work of art. From everything I've heard, everybody on the set had a terrible, terrible time. It was just like a horrible atmosphere. Like it was so humid. They're in like these grass fields in Japan. You know, like I can only imagine how terrible (laughs) the filming was because it's all bugs. You know, they're also talking about some incredibly heavy subject matter. It is a very triggering movie. It has a lot of like deep hidden resentment and violence to it. But if you want a witch that just goes for the evil, like Onibaba is good, good, good. And surprising. So Eve's Bayou, of course, is like a great movie from the 90s. It has very young Journey Smollett in it, actually, uh, as the main character. And it's directed by Cassie Lemons, who has directed other movies. And it is a truly great, weird, bizarre movie that just studies kind of this young girl's childhood and a very traumatic, perhaps sexual assault that happens to her sister. But like they don't fully know. There's a lot of questions around what the situation was. And it it feels a lot like what it's like to be around somebody who's going through trauma that you don't fully understand. And also, like, a lot of people are like, oh, but was it that bad? You know, like that kind of thing. The witches in that movie play an incredible role. And I highly recommend just, I mean, that movie is just kind of a modern masterpiece, honestly. And it's super underrated. Even now, as more people are starting to watch it again, I think that it still is pretty underrated. And uh, yeah, it's just a fascinating, fascinating study. And the witches in it are just like the best part. There is a movie for the weird ones who are just as strange as me, who just love to have a good time. And it's called Mystics in Bali. Now, that movie is so weird and so obscure. You would have to really track it down. But there is a lot of detached human heads floating around and just like a lot of really cool, bizarre stuff that I I remember watching it and being like, oh, my God, like I'm just totally shocked to the point of like I've seen so many weird, bizarre movies And that one just like, it's so bizarre. I maybe have never seen a weirder movie. 
So once again, all of the trigger warnings, but that movie was... If you just want to watch something that's just like the most bonkers thing you've ever seen, and you've already seen like House, you know, or something, then I would say, check out Mystics in Bali. It's pretty good. The last two I'm going to talk about are funny, jokey ones. The Girl on the Broomstick is a very pre-Sabrina kind of story. It's uh, 1960s, I believe. Um, I forget where it was made, but it's definitely not in English. And it is a story about a young teen witch. She's in like kind of a Hogwarts kind of school for witches, but she's just bad at everything and she doesn't have any ambition, you know? And then they're like, okay, well, we're going to banish you to Earth then. So have fun with that. And she gets banished. And then has to try to navigate regular life with her bad witch skills, but still better than any human's witch skills. <laughs> so like the whole time she's like truly impressing this one kid who's decided that she's the coolest girl in the world and he just wants to do anything to help her. And uh, she also is just so strange that everybody around her is like, where did all these rabbits come from? But where did the people go? And like that kind of stuff. There's all kinds of gags through the whole thing. And it's really funny. I highly recommend that one just because if you like Sabrina, you'll love that movie. It's really silly, but also kind of ahead of its time in a weird way that I wasn't expecting when I watched it. Because I was like, oh, yeah, like they're they're about to do this with Sabrina and it's going to become this huge thing. I Married a Witch, of course, is the classic starring Veronica Lake. And it is very much what Bewitched was based on. You know, it's like this total like guy marries a woman, doesn't know what he's getting into. Turns out she's straight up a witch and he's very uncomfortable about it, but she doesn't super care. And she's like, well, you know, I have to do this stuff because otherwise like he's going to hurt himself, you know, <laughs> like that's basically kind of the theme of it, which is kind of the theme of like I Dream of Jeannie and Bewitched too, where it's just like, the guy who's supposed to be like, I'm the husband, I wear the pants in this relationship is like, couldn't navigate these situations without her. And so like, though he's freaked out by the witchcraft, it also becomes this kind of thing where it's like, oh, I have to respect and admire that my wife is like way cooler and way more capable than I am kind of by the end of it. It's made in the 40s. And also Veronica Lake was like literally a child at this time. She had a hard time in Hollywood. And like, you know, there's there's a whole narrative around that. And I highly recommend, you know, checking into it and looking around a little bit because, you know, it's an interesting story. And she had that classic look and, you know, all of that. A lot of the things surrounding it are interesting and also can be a little bit highly triggering as well because old Hollywood stories are almost always are. But I Married a Witch is just like the classic, you know, any person who loves classic cinema, loves witch stuff, like, you know, you just have to. It's, it's a really good movie and Veronica Lake is truly incredible in it. Amazing. Julie, thank you for this three-part question. We talked The Nevers. Whew. And we talked, well, we kind of turned it into a four-part. We talked to The Nevers. We talked about problematic creators. We talked about our recommendations. Oh, and we talked about how do we live with works of art that were important to us that we have since learned were made by people who have, let's go with less than ethical behavior. We loved your question. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you listening. We really love what you got to, to talk about today. And it's fun to end on a positive note. We have a ton of recommendations for you all. We hope you'll go read the books, read the comics, go watch the TV shows and the movies. Let us know what you think. If you're watching those and it raises any questions, that's what we're here for. Hit us up. We're here to help anytime. <laughs> I'm like, mine will definitely raise some questions for you. Um, like what? my movie we'll recommendations <laughs> specifically because they are all like weird old ones. But also at the same time, 
there's lists on the internet that are just like, here's the most famous, most beloved witch movies of all time. And I think a lot of those are problematic too. So like, this is one where I'm just like, I mean, if you can get past like all of the weird bad stuff that happens in Mystics of Bali, you'll probably have a great time. So <laughs> thanks, Julie. So this week's comic of the week is Grip, The Strange World of Men by Gilbert Hernandez. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, my God. Gilbert Hernandez. Get off my neck. No, never. (laughs) Don't. (laughs) This is the weirdest comic I think I have read. Um, It was, well, let me rephrase that. It's the best weirdest comic that I've ever read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that maybe Stray Toasters is still a little bit stranger. Maybe... But I enjoy this one more because it has a very genre-ish plot. In fact, it has about 17 genre plots <laughs> in it. And uh, they're all wild. I love this comic so much because obviously we know Gilbert Hernandez from Love and Rockets. But some of the stuff that Gilbert Hernandez does outside of Love and Rockets is absolutely the weirdest stuff and the most kind of genre-bending and experimental stuff that he does. Oh, yeah. Grip is weird, and I love weird. So I found it just so good. And, you know, and it's uh, Gilbert Hernandez's art, which is just so good. We've done, what was the other, the Tinney Howard comic we reviewed? that Assassinistas. was Assassinistas. Assassinistas. That was, like, so good, and you love that art. And this is, again, like, just that top-notch art with just the weirdest fucking story. And I, I don't think you can do better. <laughs> The mystery girls who are like the women who like wear their cool outfits and go out and beat people up or do whatever. I liked them a lot, but that's also very much kind of foreshadowing for a lot of the other kind of superhero-y stuff. Like weird commentary on superheroes that this guy does. And yeah, I think that this is maybe one of the weirdest comics ever. It ha- it kind of starts with this guy who doesn't know what's going on and he's just kind of wandering around the town. Like there's a beach and like all kinds of stuff. It's warm out, it seems. And he has a lipstick, like a kiss on his cheek. And he just kind of wanders around and encounters these characters that are going to become relevant to the plot. But it's very confusing and baffling and a long journey as to how they are relevant. Um, So he starts bumping into them. But then, like, he gets kidnapped at one point by the mystery girls who just kind of, like, throw him naked into bed. And then, like, the skin crawls off of him and goes out into the world to do things. And then like a little girl adopts the skin. (laughs) Like It is so strange. It is the wildest comic. I've been trying to figure out how to describe the plot. And it's basically like a kind of... Science cult? Yeah, it's like a... It's a science cult memento kind of situation. Like, he can't remember anything, but it's basically him piecing everything back together and then returning from whence he came, you know? It's a very full circle kind of story. There's actually kind of like a... Instead of a character going out into the world, it's a character out in the world coming back to where they come from. And so there's like a weird science 
bad, mean, evil scientists, but also then like, yeah, people think that the character's kind of a a god question mark or like a a religious leader. And maybe he is like a god. Like we're not clear on that. Yeah. He has like a shysty best friend, like the little boy in the cult (laughs) who is named like Joe or something, I think. And he's just so, so sleazy. And the whole time watching him just kind of be set up to be betrayed by this guy is almost just excruciating. More skins. <laughs> There's more of them. More skins literally show up just randomly crawling around. And or there will be people and their skin like loosens and then it like comes off. There's like a scene where two people are like gonna have sex and then like their skins come off and it is Ugh. it is wild and then there is there's also like identity swapping so like yeah because the skins can go on to new bodies yeah so someone can like look like your grandma for instance but they're not and so Mm. then there's like this twist where you know they figure out that someone's in the body of someone else but then at the last moment it twists again and it's actually someone else in that body and you're just like what the fuck what i think what makes it such a great comic is that the plot feels loose and weird and disconnected until you reach the end and then you're like holy shit this is so tightly plotted seriously yeah that's kind of it i remember actually whenever i first bought this i was buying so much levin rockets and i was buying all of the outside of levin rockets issues as well like i think new love was going on and like there was just a few Every now and again, they would release a special or like another book or something like that. And whenever this came out, I believe maybe through Vertigo, they did, I think it's a six-issue series. Don't quote me on that. It might be like a five-issue series. But I remember getting like all the first parts of the story except for the last part. And so for like years, I could not find the last part of this story. And it was like killing me because it is the weirdest comic and I just wanted to know so badly and then whenever I actually did read the end of it, I was just like, yeah, that doesn't disappoint at all. It was worth the wait. It was worth everything. <laughs> like this comic rules and it is so tightly plotted in a way that is surprising even after you're like sold on it. You know, I was always like, I love this comic even from the very beginning because like the visuals and like the aesthetic and all of the weird characters and all of that, like it's so perfect, right? And it's all new stuff. We never see any of this stuff again, right? From what I from what I know. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I think it's a all tight story, you know? And you're right. Like, it's it's also very bleak. Like, there's some very bleak oh parts of it. But there's also that, that macabre humor, too, right? Like, where things are funny because they're so fucked up. Yeah. He knows he's making you laugh at something you shouldn't, you know? And he's like, yeah, you laughed when that guy got shot. That's because it was funny. But you right. think it's funny. <laughs> the guy just walking around with no skin, just repeating all of the things that people had said to him like the day before and stuff like that. And then, yeah, it is such a wild ass story. And I love it. Honestly, this is probably my favorite work of Gilbert Hernandez's wow. outside of Love and Rockets. But that is still something that has a lot of contenders because I remember really enjoying like Speak of the Devil. I really enjoy... Maria M. I like a lot of the other ones that have been put out, but this one is just so bizarre. And there's just something that really draws you in about it. And it's just, it takes so, so many turns that that makes it worth it. 
If you're somebody who is way more plot-driven than I am, like I'm usually like a more character-driven person, you can be both, obviously, and I am both. But like, you know, I read stuff for the characters for the most part. If you like really like weird and kind of unpredictable plotting, this is also good for you because it has both of those things. Great weird characters and great bizarre takes a million turns plot. Yeah, and I think it like like much of Gilbert Fernandez's work is such a reflection on how no one's good, but also like no one's bad. Like yeah. people are just fucked up because that's what what it is to be alive. And I really think that is for comics that especially end up getting sometimes I think into these good versus evil debates, like superheroes in particular, like it's not actually saying that things are morally gray. It's saying that people are morally gray. What they're doing is still wrong. You know, like there's no there's no justifying the violence that takes place in this. There's just sort of a, I'm also not going to shirk away from it. I'm going to hold up a mirror to society. And it's going to be a weird mirror. It's going to be a funhouse mirror, but it's still going to be a mirror, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like kind of having that hyper-violence, I think, is always, for Gilbert Hernandez, it tends to be in these very finalizing ways, right? And then it'll be quick. And then the rest of the story is like all character work and, you know, maybe like a couple of other instances. But it's one of those stories where it's like the whole time they're just kind of telling like general vibe stuff. Like they're not necessarily being like, and then this chaotic thing happened. They kind of are telling the story around those chaotic moments, which proves exactly how deep and chaotic they are, right? Which like... Exactly. That's expert storytelling. Like this comic is just a masterpiece. To me, I love it so much. I would put it on par with all of my favorite Gilbert Hernandez stuff. And I, I think we just, we can't not address that there is a character with, frankly, giant breasts. And I was reading Daisy. it and I was like, I don't care for Daisy's giant breasts. And then I read the final panel and I was like, God damn it, Gilbert Hernandez, you fucking genius. So I'm not going to tell you what is answered in that, but you will learn that everything is part of the story. Boobies, mm-hmm. skin, little kiss marks on cheeks. Everything's part of the story. And I think, like you said, Sarah, that is an expert storyteller at work. And I am so, so glad that we get to read this. I believe it is on Comixology. And I know that you got it in print, right, Sarah? You were saying as it came out, right? Yeah, but it is out of print. Yes, it is out of print. I think you can find it on Comixology. And there may be like a hardcover version that you can call your local comic book shop and see if they can order for you. Good luck. It's totally worth it. We're a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is B.T.C.H.E.S.O.N. C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. 
I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.